This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Fantasy Footballers DFS and Betting Podcast with your hosts, Kyle Borgannoni and Matthew Betts. Welcome in. It's Friday, May 12th here on the Fantasy Footballers DFS and Betting Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Borgannoni, and I'm joined, as always, by Matthew. He's a freak in the best ball streets bets. <laughs> uh, I can't spot the lie in that one, honestly. Um, and what's funny is, you know, this morning I was outside spending time with the girls and my wife. We were all we all went for a little family run. I nice. pushed the stroller. I mean, just come on, dad life over here. And um, and it was beautiful. It's like seventy degrees, sunny. And in my head, like this is how much of a sicko I am. In my head, running, I'm like, like this. It's here. Like this is the best ball summer. Like nice weather. We're outside. We're drafting. So that's what I thought of. The second thing that really makes me feel like best ball season is is here well i guess there's three things number two this doc ladies and gentlemen that we have in front of us normally kyle and i will put a couple notes to ourselves a couple reminders a few whoa, stats whoa, here whoa, and there whoa. this thing oh <laughs> charts graphs i mean we have it all in here so we are fully in the weeds and then the third thing of course is the schedule release because kyle week 17 it's all that matters a schedule release is a it's a big deal in my life uh, not so much like I already knew everything and who teams are playing. We've already done our schedule adjusted projections. It just helps us for DFS. Like for DFS, we get to go, okay, week one and then DraftKings releases their salaries way too early. You get to overthink things. They release the lines. Like you can already get the line on the first game of the season. Like we're recording this Thursday afternoon, Detroit at Kansas city minus seven. I, it, you know, and and then the thing that I saw on DraftKings is that 97% of the bets were placed on the Lions so far, and it makes sense. Like, Kansas City didn't cover a ton last year, but man, no better time to fade the Lions, right? There is literally no better time. <laughs> now, if, if 97% of the public is willing to just blindly bet against Patrick Mahomes, um, I'm happy to go against the market here. We'll see what happens on that. The line is is plus seven for Detroit, minus one twenty. So I would not be surprised if this gets out to more than a touchdown if the bets continue to come in on Detroit um, at seven and a half. But early, if you want, if you want to tie up, you know, twenty five bucks for the next <laughs> for the next six months or whatever it is, and just wait for this line, um, I would be taking KC minus seven. But th- this is not what we're here to talk about today. What's funny is I did the exact same thing. I looked at my app and I go, "Do I want to tie up this money when you know there's a lot there's a lot that can happen?" And I agree with you. I think this line's going to end up moving even more as people hype up the Lions, whatever that is. But the schedule is an exciting time. Next week, we will be having our win total spectacular, where Betts and I walk through every single team in the NFL, what we think about their win totals, their schedule, their divisional chances, and give you some actionable advice. Last year was by far our best year with win totals, and the ones that we hammered the most, I feel like we had you know way ahead of the curve. The Cardinals, the Vikings. The Vikings to win the North was our best divisional bet. That was a, you know, we got it at like plus 350, and I think a lot of people... Uh, got behind us so that next week we'll be talking about that when the schedule is released but it's fun it's fun on social media you also have to be careful because you get a lot of scheduled quote leaks that end up just being completely wrong from rando people I mean there are random people that come out of the weeds right now that just want to tell you this team is playing this team in week seven and you realize later like they had no idea what they were talking about 
They just wanted some clicks. So be careful out there, people. If you want to get all of our content, you can get in the Ultimate Draft Kit, ultimatedraftkit.com, the Dynasty Pass, the DFS Pass, which I'm going to go ahead and tease it. We're going to have a new optimizer this year. A brand new. Kyle, this wasn't I, even on the plans. You just dropped this on me like out of nowhere? I was just so excited because you and I have had a couple of meetings about it, and we think that we are getting a major upgrade for this year. We're going to get to give you some good tutorials. And I'm going to say it's an optimizer that I've played around with, and I feel excited that people can actually do it the right way if they're entering the Millie Maker, if they are just looking at projections, ceiling projections, all of those things. So, yeah, did I just was that was that too soon? I mean, I'm I'm excited about it, so I'm happy to hear, and I think our listeners will be very happy to hear, and people that are in the DFS pass will be excited about it because, truthfully, the one we had in there last year, it had some flaws. I mean, let's be real about it. And we heard the feedback from you guys. So we went out, we upgraded the optimizer. This thing is awesome. Kyle and I were playing around with it yesterday. Um, looking back at week one from last year, which was, it's always fun to look back, but kind of using it for different settings and how you build and, and all that sort of stuff. So I'm excited to have it in the DFS past this year. And because we upgraded the optimizer, Kyle, the price of everything had to go through the roof, right? For what we're offering? No, no, we, we, oh, we, once price, again, huh? yeah, we had a uh, company-wide <laughs> meeting. We talked to all the corporate, you know, big heads, all the crazy investors, which people we don't. Yep, it's just, there's, there's a lot of them. <laughs> just so people know, the footballers is us. Like, it's <laughs> it's you and me. It is Andy, Mike, and Jason. It's our production team. It's our dev team. It's our writers. That's it. There's no big corporate, you know, group. There's no giant investor. And Andy, Mike, and Jason have built it from the ground up. And they continue to offer things at the same price they would have, like, seven years ago. So... Whatever, but the, the optimizer is great. I'm really excited about it. We'll be showing you some more stuff over the summer, but you can get all of that at ultimatedraftkit.com. And if you want to be entered in, we're doing a giveaway with the footballers right now, a signed Justin Jefferson jersey at footclangiveaway.com. It's really simple. There's a bunch of different ways to enter the contest, but footclangiveaway.com if you want to be a part of that. But this show, you and I are just going to go over the top talking about best ball, talking about it at the next level. So let's get into it. Best ball bonanza. This episode is for me entitled best ball next level. It's the goal is to take what we did last week, which is talk about general best ball strategy uh, just some ideas about building a portfolio, roster construction. Go back to that episode last week if you didn't listen to it, and you can listen to it all summer, over and over again. I'm sure I had a couple of great jokes that I don't remember right now. But that episode, we're building off of that. We're also reminding people that all of our rankings for best ball, our best ball primer where we walk through every single team, the stacking options, the metrics we like, our exposures, that will be in the app this year. So if you get the Ultimate Draft Kit plus... It's in the app. It'll be with you, a companion as you draft in best ball. But I wanted to start off this discussion. You and I are going to give some pretty intense numbers here. We're going to be talking about, you know, different positions, what's changed, how do you approach, you know, tight ends, what does it look like for rookies, uh, how should you be stacking, all of those things. But my question I want to start off with is what keeps people playing best ball from going to the next level? And, and I'm defining that as just winning long term. You know, it's one thing to have a really good year or to be right about a couple players, but best ball is something that gives you a window. You know, for us, we play May all the way, you know, to beginning of the season. How can people start winning long-term and what keeps them from doing that, Bets? Well, there's a couple of things I think that potentially uh, prevent people from winning in the long-term. Um, I don't have this on the doc, Kyle, but one thing that just came to mind thinking about that you know, we often talk about in DFS, you know, weeks one through 18 in the playoffs of contest selection, bankroll management being super important and underrated aspects of being a good DFS player. Right now, it is so easy to look at the contests that are available across all these sites and just be like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to fire into the million maker on DK. Uh, Drafters has a like $250,000 up top first place tournament. You know, Best Ball Mania is out. The Puppy is starting like 50% filled, which is absolutely ludicrous right now um, on Underdog. So there's just all these huge tournaments to enter in and, and just go crazy with. 
that can be fun. It can be profitable for some people right now. But if you're not really like matching your drafting style to the tournaments that you're playing in or to the game, you know, that you select, that can be detrimental to your win rate. We can't, you know, forget like it's okay to play some best ball with, you know, five bucks, $10 entry, whatever it is to just kind of like build your bankroll with these like cash style contests where it's just the top three get paid out. That's it. There's no tournament. So just match what you're doing as far as your strategy to the contest that you are playing. And that's kind of my first thing. The second thing is I want to talk a little bit about stacking, right? Because stacking right now, like it's so 2020, right? Gotta, like got to stack. Got to. If you're not stacking, like what are you doing, right? That's that's the take home, but that's not giving you any edge. Everyone is stacking. So right now, just stacking your quarterback and your wide receiver gives you zero leg up on the competition because 11 out of 12 people in your league are doing it. So simply put, if you're not stacking, you're just creating negative EV lineups. So stack, of course, we want to do that, but let's take it to the next level, right? So I, I kind of want to think about, for me personally this year, I feel like last year and the year before, I was just so stuck on, okay, I, I took... Um, you know, AJ Brown, like I, I have to get Jalen Hurts this time. Well, if someone wants to reach, you know, two rounds for Jalen Hurts, I missed him. So what? But if you were making a bet last year on just the Eagles being a great offense, which if you did make that bet, it would have turned out handsomely for you. And you paired, you know, AJ Brown with someone like Dallas Goddard or, or I don't remember what the ADPs shaked out to be. You still got good correlation and good stacking, good team stacking without the quarterback. And some people view that as a negative. I don't. I still think it's very, very valuable to do that. And I want to look at kind of shifting our focus to more of a DFS mindset. We often reference the correlation uh, tool that Fantasy Labs offers. They have data going back to 2014. The RB1 and the wide receiver one on the same team have pretty much just as good of a correlation as the RB1 and the wide receiver two. It's 0.27 and 0.28. The wide receiver one and the tight end one in any week have a 0.26 correlation coefficient. So there's still positive correlation when you put teammates together in the same best ball lineup without their quarterback. I'm not saying try to not get the quarterback, just don't force it. And and week 17 last year was a great example of this. Think back to week 17, long time ago, but we had the Chargers and the Rams. We had uh, the Chargers winning 31 to 10. So they put up 31 points, which you need in best ball. Austin Eckler, was incredible. The RB1 on the week, 30 fantasy points, one Pat Kareen, the 2 million uh, on underdog. If you didn't have Justin Herbert, that's okay. Like he only finishes the quarterback 12 that week, so you didn't need him to take down a tournament or to win your week. He only threw for 212 yards and two touchdowns. Mike Williams, on the other hand, caught seven balls for 94 yards on 10 targets, finished that week as the wide receiver 18 in half PPR formats. So in that week, Austin Eckler and Mike Williams are giving you winning scores, contributing scores to your lineup based on where they finish. So I want to point out to people this year, you don't have to have the quarterback. Granted, we want him. But if you want to bet on offenses that you think are going to be really good this year, I'm perfectly fine taking two or three of the pieces from that team, even if you don't have to get the quarterback on your roster. We talk about that, right, in DFS. Like Nobody correlates better than someone on the on their own team or in the same game. Like those are the ones that you want to attack. So a lot of times, you know, we'll talk about that when we're saying, okay, here's a quarterback, that, but you're right. Like there's a running back on this team that let's say he gobbles up three touchdowns and you get another wide receiver that gets in the end zone as well. Like you can, you can get there that way. So I totally agree. I think that's an underrated part because people just look at, well, here's what I'm supposed to do because the quarterback is the main part of that stack, but we're stacking this team and we're hoping that that game in week 17, which we'll talk about that concept, that game hits and you have the right combination of players. I want to just explain what keeps people from going to the next level with best ball is just not having a nuanced understanding that every single draft choice kind of creates a, a, a number of other choices for you. It's like a decision tree. When you, If you do this, you know, if you take Travis Kelsey early, Here's probably what you should do. You probably shouldn't take TJ Hawkinson a couple rounds later, right? People don't really realize that you can do that at every single point of the draft, but the most consensus thoughts with best ball feel like they're locked in because that's where people go in drafts, right? Oh, well, you know, this player, that's just where they are. It's where they go. Last year, Jonathan Taylor is just either the 101 or the 102. That's just who he is. 
and he's probably not going to fall, right? Like, I didn't have a draft where Taylor dropped beyond, like, the 104. You know, if people were getting crazy, they wanted to take Cup. We're not here to pick apart, you know, Jonathan Taylor and look back and say, oh, that was a bad pick. It's just looking at it and saying, if he's not a top four pick, how does the rest of things shake out? Last year, the unquestioned thing was that Kelsey and Andrews are just the top two tight ends. One of those was true, and Andrews actually was totally fine on a year-long standpoint, but didn't help your team long-term. Five quarterbacks was just the unquestioned thing that you take them in the top five rounds no matter what last year, but it didn't give room for somebody like Jalen Hurts to jump in the mix. So all I'm saying is when we look at the first couple of rounds, kind of identify what are those things. Is just This is just what it is. You know, This year, I think the unquestioned thing is that the top three picks are going to be Jefferson Chase CMC in a tier of their own. And then it kind of is a question mark after that. Is it Tyreek? Is it Cup? Is it you know somebody else like Bijan? So those are the things that you get to name right now. And when you're drafting and you're drafting in Best Ball Mania or the Puppy in a tournament, you have to then make decisions as if those players are wrong. Like, okay, let's say that you know this is not right. How does that change things? So my last year was, I'm not getting a ton of Cooper Cup. I'm just going to be overweight Justin Jefferson and boost him in my rankings for tournaments just to use that as leverage against Cooper Cup. Like that was my theory. I happened to hit on that one only because Cooper Cup got injured. He was awesome. So those are the kind of nuanced decisions you have to make when you're drafting or else you're just picking best player and you're going to get those right and wrong. So there's a game theory part that I think people, I don't know, do you think people undervalue that part? I don't think people put a lot of game theory into this at all, truthfully. Um, cause you think about it, like you sort of, you know, you do a few drafts, you get your feet wet, you understand what the, the ADP landscape is. And sure. That's going to change a little bit week to week, but it doesn't change a ton unless there's a major injury or something. So you kind of get settled in of like, okay, here's who goes in round two. Here's who I'm, I can get right. a turn. You sort of learn. And so it almost feels like, and I don't know if this is a psychological thing, but it almost feels like if you don't just follow that, then you're doing something wrong. And we don't want to, you know, we're not here to say, do something crazy and reach 10 spots for a guy that's clearly not a good strategy but at the same time like if you're just doing what everyone else is doing and kind of following that this is the way to build then clearly there's no differentiation there which if you're playing in these tournaments like you have to have some of that to have success if it's a 12-man league you know I kind of just follow my rankings and go from there as usual but yeah in these in these massive tournaments where like literally all the money all the prize money (laughs) is in these final uh you know two weeks and specifically week 17 it takes so much to get there that you do want to be creating, I think, some leverage and differentiation in your rosters. They changed up the structure a little bit this year with Best Ball Mania 4. And I want to just run through those really quick because that's the tournament that we talk about the most. It just gives us the biggest sample size. So when we talk about our data, a lot of time, Bets and I will refer to Best Ball Mania because you just have, you know, what was it, 37, you know, each player was drafted just a crazy amount of times. There's a ton of entries um, what is it like 660,000 people are, are, are entries this year. It's just, you get a big data Something set. crazy like that. Best ball mania four this year, 33% of the prizes go to regular season players. Like if you win your league or if you're the top scorer. So that's up from 10% last year. So there's a lot more money in the regular season than, than it was last year. But the way the structure is, is in order to get to the playoffs, you need to be top two in your 12 man league. Then in week 15, you go in a league of 16 people and you have to be number one in that 16-person league. Then in week 17, you have to do the exact same thing. Be number one in a 16-person league. And then when you get to week 17, there's 440 uh, people and the first first place prize gets 3 million. So good luck, right? Just win, you know, your league and then win like three DFS tournaments in a row, basically. that I mean, that's what it is. Simple. And what's crazy too, like the prize structure, I mean, it falls off a cliff. Like if you finish in the top 100, who cares? It it doesn't matter. Like you're not going to win life-changing money in this contest unless you finish like in the top five, six, seven spots. I forget what the exact uh, payout structure is, but it falls off off a cliff massively. So if you're playing in that, we need to be thinking best range of outcomes, absolute ceiling, and a couple things along the way, but I'm not playing safe like i'm taking swings where i can get guys with huge upside the best part about playing best ball is that like if you do make it to week 15 
you can't do anything about it. Like other than just stress and watch the TV, but like you can't make any <laughs> last minute other changes. Other than just have your heart rate go through the roof and your blood pressure just skyrockets. Oh, well, I just, I, I like thinking about getting to those. Last year I, I had a team that got to week 15 and I just remember thinking like, okay, well, like I'm going to look at all this. I can't mess up anything anymore though. That's the best feeling. Like in DFS or in redraft, you're going to swap out somebody that you shouldn't have and you're going to live with all that regret. There's no more regrets in best ball. Like, and I and I say this a lot in DFS, and maybe it's just me, but I just don't want to hear shoulda, woulda, coulda. Like, I oh, if I just would have done this, like every single person is going to be saying that because they could have changed something else in their lineup. They could have swapped, and they didn't. So we just got to move forward with that. Bets. We're going to hit people with five. Ah, man, they're more than just, you know, good ideas. They're more than tips. These are just like next level things that's what i'm gonna call them right now uh (laughs) with best ball so i'll let you hit people with the first one sure yeah so my first thing that i want to talk about is the quarterback position and specifically how the market is valuing them so it's no surprise and i think everyone would agree elite quarterbacks are separating from the field meaning from the guys that are going after them in drafts almost year after year right like it's impossible for the kenny pickett's of the world and the Derek cars to ever do what lamar jackson Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts are capable of in any week. Now, I'm not saying those guys can't beat them in a week, but how often are those guys giving you 35 to 40 points? Never, right? Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Jalen Hurts, these guys can do it. And the field is on it. So I looked back at historical data to just see like how early are these elite quarterbacks going over the last couple of years? Going back to 2020, the number of quarterbacks going in the first five rounds, there was just two of them. The year after, we saw some data. The field understood. You need those those top-tier quarterbacks. There was four. year after that, which was last year, there was five. And now the field is so into these quarterbacks, it is unreal. There are eight quarterbacks going in the top five rounds as it stands right now on underdog based off their ADP. And so my first question of that is, is, is that right or wrong? And I think we'll know next year, obviously, in hindsight. But, but my inclination is that it probably is right that these elite quarterbacks should be valued as highly as they are. Is it right they're going in round two? That seems a little crazy to me right does, now based off of, of how high they're going. Does eight, just that number in itself, does that feel like there's a logjam where there should be, like looking back, you know, when we look back, I feel like there should be like five, maybe six that should go there. And, and we'll, we'll have injuries, but is it, that's my early inclination. Yeah, the, na- the number was was crazy because I was like, oh, like, you know, it makes sense, you know, Hertz, Lamar, Mahomes, Josh right. Allen. But then all of a sudden you're seeing like Justin Fields, like he's up as a round three pick. Um, Justin Herbert, who I love, is kind of going right in round five or, or sometimes round four, depending on your draft. So these guys are getting pushed up the board and let's not even bury the lead right now. Like Anthony Richardson is going to be a top 70 pick probably in a month i mean his adp has been insane in the last couple of weeks i'm thrilled that i got a few shares when he was like quarterback 13 off the board now he's quarterback 10 and going to be quarterback nine sooner than later so these elite quarterbacks who have a ceiling to them are just skyrocketing and i wanted to just remind ourselves of what the data had showed before last year so i referenced an article i wrote on the site optimal roster construction on underdog fantasy looking at the tw- uh, Best Ball Mania 1 and Best Ball Mania 2 data. And, and the two takeaways I had was teams that are rostering either two or three quarterbacks had the highest advance rate, and they're more likely to finish in the top 10% of the entire tournament. So we understand two or three is the way to, way to go at quarterback. But teams that took their first quarterback before round 10 had a much higher advance rate than those who waited and just said, oh, I'll grab three late. And I think that points to what we're seeing. Like You can't get the same ceiling if you just punt the position and say, I'm going to take three guys going after round 13 that you just can't do it. So I think that these elite quarterbacks are right. But what I want to ask is like, how do we approach it? Because that is a massive opportunity cost to take one of these guys in round two. I love Jalen Hurts. I love Pat Mahomes. I think they're going to be incredible. But what I'm saying is like, what are we sacrificing to take those guys? And I want to look at a a 2v2 kind of a based off ADP of what we're seeing. So if you started out your draft in round two with Josh Allen, the type of wide receivers that you're left with in that round five-ish range are like the Terry McLaurins of the world, which, I, I mean, hey, you know I'm a Terry guy, but I'm not sure Terry McLaurin can ever touch the ceiling of the guys going in, in round two. 
one 2v2 example, you know, counteract to that is what if you wait on quarterback, you take Justin Herbert in round five, and then someone like Jalen Waddle or Chris Alave in round two. Whew. I, I mean, <laughs> that's a start right there. <laughs> I, my inclination, and I don't know if this is right again, but I'm just kind of thinking like, I want ceiling a quarterback. I don't know if I want to spend a round two pick. So I think my early lean here is to say like, I want to lean into these tier two, tier three type of guys the Lamar, Fields, Burrow, Herbert, Trevor Lawrence, um, Dak, Daniel Jones, all those guys going in the top 100 picks, I like, and they're there for a reason, and I think they should be there. But I'm not sure I want to spend a, a round two pick on quarterback. So I don't know where I, where I stand. I'll have a few shares because I'm going to draft a ton of teams. But if, if I'm trying to take a stand against the field this year in these tournaments, that is a massive opportunity cost. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. And I know that I in general, will be more contrarian where I see certain players boosted up. Now, keep in mind, these eight quarterbacks are going in the top five rounds. It's also boosting up quarterback 14, 15, 16, like in ADP. So I was looking at a draft the other day and I was like, okay, if I can wait, you know, I can grab them later. But like, I can't grab the same quarterback I used to. You know, Kirk Cousins isn't going at pick 120 anymore. He's going at 99th. You know, it's just like there's so many other factors of quarterbacks being boosted up, the early ones, that it's actually affecting the other guys. But, yeah, there's a lot of guys. I mean, Geno Smith is somebody that we've been on for a while. He's been moving up rapidly in ADP. And that's kind of my take. Like, I have a lot of teams right now. My highest exposure wide receiver from the first couple rounds is Jalen Waddell. So you mentioned him because I love where you can get him. I love that in the game theory part of, like, playing in the puppy, it's like Tyreek is a – very important pick at, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth overall. Waddle is a, is another player that I can get, you know, a round or two later that I think is just as valuable. You know, it can be at least in, in game theory. And I like Justin Herbert a lot. I think he's kind of slipped. And I think people are only looking at what this offense was last year and his touchdown total when it's a new OC. And I'm also a sucker for the Chargers, right? Like, I'm ready to oh, lose money on Let's. <laughs> I'm, I'm so ready, man. Um, but before we move on to yours, I wanted to ask as well, like, one thing I was playing around with with this idea is if you do pass on those guys in round two, so it's it's Hurts, Mahomes, and Josh Allen, that's who's going in round two. What I'm thinking is like, can I make up that ceiling by just double tapping in this range of like round four to round eight or nine? Like, would you feel comfortable competing with these teams in a tournament if you had, you know, Herbert and Deshaun Watson or Herbert and, and Tua, something like that? Because I feel like a lot of teams will say, oh, I didn't get one of those, those guys. I have to get three quarterbacks on my roster. I've been loving my teams when I just take two in that kind of uh, that range right there in that six to 10 range round, round five, round four to 10. Um, what are your thoughts on those guys? I love it. I'm totally fine with that. I think you can also get stacking options that are affordable. And I just find that those teams that where I get to just hammer away the first four or five rounds at premium running backs, you know, maybe one premium running back, three awesome receivers. Maybe I get Mark Andrews in there I just love the way that those teams look, and I think I'm able to stack them in a bunch of different ways. Like Deshaun Watson, someone we said, don't draft last year, don't even think about it. This year, I like the draft price because if he's going to be, like you said, quarterback 10, 11 in a second, then that's a great price to be able to take when you add in his rushing ability. So that's the biggest question for me is who are the quarterbacks that can have these spike weeks that have rushing upside that are later on in the draft. Because if I'm getting a quarterback two or three later on, I want somebody with rushing ability, and that's just still what I'm trying to zero in on. And it's uh, still Trey Lance. <laughs> it's always Trey Lance. <laughs> um, all right, before we get to the next one, let's take a quick break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's actually Sam Howell. Sam Howell's the one I just... He's, he's your left, boy? He's left for dead. A starting quarterback who can run the football, 
and I'm not saying he's going to be great in the NFL, should be valued a little bit higher than the 18th round. I think what's keeping his ADP on is just the uncertainty because... For sure. If he's... And not about being good or not, like, there's a real chance he starts three games this year. Well, there's a real chance... No one knows. Okay, so Drew Locke was being drafted the exact same spot last year. And I'm just saying, when you get to that round, the opportunity cost is nothing. That... Yes, I, that team could bomb out, but as my QB three, I think the upside just is just way higher than what whatever risk you get. Like Sam Howell, I'm not asking him to be the QB fourteen. Can Sam Howell be the QB twenty and give you four sure. or five spike weeks? Sure, why not? In the 18th round, that's pretty rare to find. I just I just need yeah, to say it. It is. Uh, but but I was just pointing out that's why he's there. If if we knew he was going to start the entire season, he'd be in the, I don't know, right behind Kenny Pickett sort of range. Sam so, Howell or Mac Jones as your QB three. Uh, I'm not taking these QBs. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> Mac Jones. There's pretty much no way I want to be taking that player. Just, I've taken zero so far, and I plan on taking zero. <laughs> all right, this next point that I want to give is called rookies rise, and it might be shocking to you. We're in the middle of rookie fever right now. You're in the like the prime moment of you just had your rookie dynasty draft, and you're going to hear the steady drumbeat over the next couple weeks and into the summer about rookies who flashed or rookies that are going to fit certain game plan. And some of them are going to be awesome. Everybody wants to find the next Jeff- Justin Jefferson. You're probably not going to find it, okay? He probably doesn't exist. And I would say this year, I'm just going to boldly say it, I don't think there's a wide receiver out there that can give you a top five, you know, top 10 outcome apart from an injury. Like I just don't see it among the rookies. So when I look at rookies and the way that they're handled in best ball, it's a little different than redraft. You just need to keep that in mind. Rookie running backs. I think the field undervalues them, but right now we don't have a ton to choose from with like really clean landing spots. It's like Bijan and he's being drafted really crazy high. Jameer Gibbs, who's being drafted as a top 15 running back. And then it kind of falls off a cliff from there. It's like Charbonnet's way down there. A-Chain's kind of a fun pick, but who really knows? So what I found is that late round rookie running backs, the ones that you're just like, oh, maybe he'll get a chance. Their advance rates are abysmal. Just, just terrible. There's a reason those running backs are just left for dead because they're probably not good at the game and they probably won't see the field that much. But there is a really clear point. Rookie running backs who are 21 years old, okay, so they need to be in their age 21 season, they actually have a much higher advance rate than almost anybody else like in terms of ADP and everything else. So this year, we have four running backs that fit that criteria. Bijan, <laughs> Jameer Gibbs. Man, so that doesn't really help us. But then there's two more. Kendry Miller and Israel Abanakanda. So... That, to me, says that if I'm going to take a chance on a rookie, I want one that's younger, one that has a chance, one that has draft capital. So Kendry Miller kind of shows up. But rookies also kind of get undervalued based on what they can do later on in the year, right? Being in the year, a lot of running backs, they're going to give it to the veteran. Do you remember who the Texans starter was last year at running back week one? Did they list uh, Rex Burkhead as a starter? Oh, he's got the first snap, baby. I said it on the podcast. Love that. And it was my only. <laughs> I remember vic- you, you talking about that actually. <laughs> it was my Damian Pierce victory lap for like a week because he was bad week one. Um, my point is this: is that running backs that are they slowly gain trust and they gain opportunity over time because usually either the veteran's slower, not as quick, somebody gets injured. So I find that rookie running backs are really helpful as like kind of a back end hammer at the very end of the the year, weeks 14, 15, 16, 17 for the playoffs. That's when rookie running backs come into play for me. So that's when I'm thinking best ball. That's what I think about with rookie running backs. Now, rookie wide receivers, people are obsessed in best ball. Let me give you some of these numbers of rookie running backs. Over the last seven years, the average, okay, so just the average for a first-round wide receiver, so you know, like a Jordan Addison, you know, uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba, a wide receiver that was taken the first round in the NFL draft, the average ADP for them was 124. That's like the 11th round, okay? This year, the average is the 8th round, the 85th overall pick. We have JSN, who is now going 57th overall. 
That is the second highest ADP ever for a rookie wide receiver. Okay, only Amari Cooper went higher way back in 2015. What are your thoughts on JSN going that high? Well, I'm sitting here shaking my head because on our doc, which was created yesterday, uh, you have 59.8. So his ADP is rising, <laughs> literally daily, um, which and, and I love JSN. We've talked all about him on our Dynasty show. I think he's the best wide receiver in this class. But the field, I think, is overreacting to how incredible Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, these guys have been in the last couple couple of years as a rookie. I mean, I think there could be some value here, and I think these guys will give spike weeks, but I will not be shocked at all if some of these guys, you look back at the end of the year and their advance rates are terrible or you know, they just didn't do that much for you. Like, if we just go kind of through these names, like, you know, Jackson Smith and Jigba, he'll be out there in three wide receiver sets. We're not sure if he'll play the perimeter. Tyler Lockett showed zero signs of slowing down last year. He's going after his teammate who has not played in the NFL. Quentin Johnson, pretty raw prospect, we think. I mean, he can gain steam, don't get me wrong, as part of Herbert's stacks late in the year. Keenan Allen hasn't been the, the pinnacle of health. I Whoa. get that. Whoa. Mike Williams has been known to miss a game or two. Um, but you need a lot to go right, right, for that to hit. So, and Zay Flowers, like, we don't know who the target leader is. I, it feels like if there's a stance you're going to make at this point in the year based off the ADPs, being underweight these guys, to me, feels right based off the overreaction. Yeah, and we mentioned earlier, like, when players go a certain place in your draft, in your app, you're looking at it, you kind of settle into, like, oh, this is just where this player goes. Even Jordan Addison, I love him. I think he's actually in a really good spot to be a quality wide receiver too. And in the last week, he went from 83rd overall to now he's at 71st. I was in a draft and I was like, oh man, I kind of like Jordan Addison a lot. Do I like him at this price? And that's what we're asking in best ball. One of the best things about playing fantasy football in all these different formats is you and I can take different stances on the same player in tons of different formats. I can be in on Jordan Addison Dynasty. I can like him for redraft for wherever he's going to go. I don't know, like 10th, 11th round. I can be out on him in best ball at this ADP. I can be in on him for DFS, and I can be in on him for props. Like You can just kind of do all of those things for the same player. It's okay. It's okay to have different takes in different formats on the same player. So those players are going a lot higher. We will be talking about Jalen Hyatt a little bit later because... He's going as the fifth highest rookie wide receiver right now in best ball. So keep that in mind, a third round wide receiver. That's scary. Now he's not yet at Jalen Tolbert levels. Do you think that he will hit that ADP of the great Jalen Tolbert, who was uh, 119th overall? So he's got he's got a little ways to go. And if I remember correctly, he was also a third round rookie. Yes. Is that right? Yes, he was a third round 88th overall, and he was taken... Oh, man. What if I told you that Jalen Tolbert was taken two spots after Garrett Wilson last year? <laughs> that can't be real. That is real? real. That is real. I mean, Garrett Wilson slowly rose, too. But at this that point, that's where it was. Oh, man. Um, it, yeah, it feels like Jalen Hyatt is on the trajectory of um, Jalen Tolbert. Like These these are the boys of summer, these two. <laughs> the Jalen boys? I, I'm telling you, it's going to take one uh, nine route against air without a helmet on, from Daniel Jones for his ADP to rise like a full round. I, I'm calling it right now. Yeah, if your name's Jalen, you're going to end up rising. That's just how it is. Jalen Waddle, by the way, his as a rookie, he went 115th overall. Okay, so it's very different than where Zay Flowers, 101st, Quentin Johnston, 96th. Like you're, the ADP is just completely pushed up. So keep that in mind. Keep that. I'm just going to be lower. In my rankings, I'm just going to tell people I will be a little bit lower than consensus on the rookie wide receivers. And then the last thing I want to mention is the rookie tight ends. <clears throat> I've talked about Dalton Kincaid. Guys, he's going as the second highest rookie tight end over the last seven years. Okay? So Kyle Pitts is its own thing. He's an outlier. He was going 42nd overall a couple years ago. Okay? And that's a different discussion. Dalton Kincaid is going as the tight end 12, 115th overall. And I think that is just a really rich draft price for a player that, I don't know, what do you think his ceiling is in terms of receptions as a rookie? Oh, uh, man. Put me on the spot. The number that just popped in my head was like 65. 
Okay, mine was 70 in my head. Like, okay, if he gets more than 70, that's a really impressive rookie year that kind of goes above. Now, the average for rookie tight ends, you look this up. Like, if you're taken as a top two-round tight end in the NFL draft, you're going to average about 400 yards. So maybe you're expecting more, but this is a player that you will say he is a slot wide receiver, but we have yet to fully see that. And if he's still splitting time, still learning the position, still learning a lot of stuff, then I will gladly bet against this at tight end 12. I bet he'll move into being tight end 10. So I wouldn't right. be surprised by that. And by the way, those numbers that you just referenced, the average of that 400 something and change uh, average for top two round NFL tight ends over the last few years, that includes Kyle Pitts' historic rookie season, by the way. So, yeah, brother. <laughs> <laughs> so if you take that out, it's obviously way worse. Yeah, I've taken zero Dalton Kincaid so far in best ball. I could be wrong, um, but we're just going to bet against the trends and yep. hope for the best. Alrighty, my number two point here. Just a reaction to the wide receivers are up, the running backs are down. Let's look back to 2020. What a year, Kyle, huh? In that draft, this Best Ball Mania won uh, ADP from August of 2020. 14 of the first 20 picks. I'm laughing because it's almost like you can't even wrap your head around it right now. 14 of the first 20 picks in August ADP were running backs. Do you think a couple of years ago? Do you think COVID just got the whole world just super high T for a while? Is that, that's what it caused? I don't know. <laughs> but. It feels like that's like an Arthur Smith type of draft. Like we're getting all the running backs early and we'll push the wide receivers down the board. And it created this um, reaction to what happened in Best Ball Mania. And everyone that was producing content for the next year said, okay, you don't need elite wide receivers in in ADP. You can wait because you can get these insane wide receivers in round six through 10 and you'll print. And that was true in 2020, but things have changed so much since then. Think about where the running backs are going now. There's only five in the first 20 picks based off current ADP. Those are CMC, Bijan, Eckler, Saquon, and JT. Those are the five. As a result, wide receivers, because of the historical hit rate of what's happened over the last couple of years, are just skyrocketing up the boards. And there's a lot of data that does show you can't just win with these random dudes going in around 10, 11, 12. Like you need some of the studs to actually give you the ceiling that you need to advance to the playoffs if you're lucky to get there and then advance again in the playoffs and do it again and then win. You need these top talented wide receivers. The market is telling us you probably need five in the first 10 rounds like to even have a chance to put quality wide receivers on the field. So, and again, we talk about the format, right? Like you have to start three every week. Ideally, there's a fourth one in your flex. So if you're thinking about that, they're going to run out very quick. And I found that kind of after about like pick 100 based off ADP, like the talent and upside and what you're excited for just falls off a cliff. I mean, it is insane. So look at some of the names that are going in picks uh, between picks 85 and 108 rounds 8 to 9. Jahan Dotson, we talked about the rookies. Yes, sir. Quentin Johnston, Zay Flowers, Michael Thomas, Cortland Sutton, Jameson Williams, who's suspended for six games, Rashad Bateman, and Odell Beckham. Like, do you feel confident about any of those guys' outlook whatsoever? It's crazy, too, because you get three Ravens all in the same spot, and I cannot tell you who will be the best fantasy wide receiver of those three. I don't know. I think one of those guys is going to be a great pick. I yeah, have no idea who it is. Yes, yeah, that's what exactly. <laughs> but my point is that, like, a couple of years ago, you could get rock-solid wide receiver twos for NFL teams and, and guys that you're excited to have in your lineup in that range. Those days are over, and so... You look at what that does to the running backs, and it just flips everything. Now running backs are falling down the board. One of my favorite starts this year, Kyle, is looking at uh, wide receiver in round one because those guys are so good. They're so elite. And then look at these wide, or these running backs Excuse me, that you can get in like rounds three. Like Tony Pollard, Ramondre Stevenson, Derrick Henry types, Brees Hall, if you believe in, in him coming off the injury. Like you can get a true anchor running back in those rounds which was never the case before. So running backs are falling, and I think it's changing how we look at this dead zone. So for those aren't, who aren't familiar about it, basically it's like rounds four to six historically based off ADP. Those guys have had much worse outcomes, much worse hit, hit rates because of the running back thirst that is there in most drafts. You see that in home leagues all the time. Now we're not seeing it. Running backs are falling. So I feel like the dead zone is 
kind of a good spot to take some running yes. backs this year. Yes. Which there's names in there like I'm excited to have. Like Najee Harris is probably a 300 touch running back. He's going in the fourth round. Jameer Gibbs is exciting. He's going in the fourth round. Um, Kenneth Walker, I understand, you know, the Zach Charbonnet stuff, but Kenneth Walker still, I think, has a pretty good ceiling this year. And then there's the guys that we just don't know about, right? Like Dalvin Cook, Joe Mixon, um, J.K. Dobbins, I think, is prime for a nice bounce back. So I kind of want to follow the market and not get different here and say, okay, if if the market is telling us we need these elite wide receivers, I think that's right. But I'm not afraid of the dead zone anymore, Kyle. I think the dead zone has changed to like round seven to nine where you're seeing like traditional guys that you're like i don't feel great about this right like you know james cook brian robinson devon a chain rashad penny like those guys feel insanely fragile that's the old rb dead zone now it's down in round seven to nine so i love going wide receiver in round one and then if you can take two running backs in that kind of two three turn or in round four that sounds pretty sweet so what i love about fantasy football is it is ever-changing where if you just subscribe just to a theory in general and you don't see that the market changes, then you're just going to be so dumb. Like you could say, oh, I need early running back or I need, you know, zero RB or whatever. Zero RB isn't the same as it was last year or the year before. Like there's just a different type of running back that's available in these spots. So yeah, you can hammer away at wide receiver for the first five rounds. But like you mentioned, Najee Harris, it, you know, that draft that you talked about in 2020, he's the type of player that would have gone in the top 10. Like that, that's just what you're getting, getting 300 touches. So I'm all about that right now too. Uh, I like my build so far where I get one of these running backs, you know, in round four, round five. And, you know, I just had a decision for my team where it was like Aaron Jones, Miles Sanders, JK Dobbins is my RB two. I feel pretty good about that. Like I've already hit wide receiver enough. And I started like one of those teams. I think I started with CMC. It's like CMC and JK Dobbins. Sweet. Like I feel like I have the running back that I need. I chose him there to be the RB1, but I have another player that I think still has top 10 upside in an offense I like. So I'm with you. I think people are going to have to adjust a ton. And yeah, I just think builds, you can't use the same data that you used in the past for builds this year, right? Yeah, that's that's the biggest point that I found so far looking at this ADP and how it's shifted is it's just a different landscape. And if you're using old data or old, this is what works, so let's just do it again. I think that is going to be a terrible mistake this year. All right, so I have a point here. Um, maybe the kids in the car need to hear this, but show me your tight ends, everybody. Kyle, this is a family show. This is a family betting podcast. Um, I think <laughs> on the uh, in March it was uh, get your tight ends checked out early was what I used for. <laughs> yeah, that for sounds the, correct. <laughs> um, I want to talk about tight ends. Two to three tight end builds is what we – always talk about okay four I, I don't know why you would do four and one you just need Kelsey and that's it if you're really going to do one but I don't recommend that so two to three tight ends is what we generally talk about but the question I have is is early tight end still an effective strategy and I think that was a consensus opinion over the last couple of years you got to get an elite tight end I think that's kind of like a redraft mentality when you talk about oh this is a positional advantage so I want to debunk elite tight end. I'm here just to trash Travis Kelsey, and that has worked out <laughs> so much. It's going to go great for you again, Kyle. Can't wait for him in week one against the Lions on Thursday Night Football to go off for 120 and two. Okay, so I, I'm for that. DFS, oh, totally for Travis Kelsey. <laughs> no, it's funny. There's certain players that you feel like you've bet wrong or bet right on. I have bet wrong on Travis Kelsey for a very long time. Staying the tight end one, being the tight end one, you know, all that stuff. But even last year, okay, Travis Kelsey was awesome. His advance rate was in the top 10. I mentioned that last week. But was he necessary to a team? And this year, is he necessary going at pick four and five? That's the question I have is, is it necessary for Kelsey to go at four or five and for early tight ends? And so last year was a big drop off if you took one of the top five tight ends. After Kelsey, it was Andrews who started off freaking awesome right like Kel uh, Andrews was like the tight end one for a while his advance rate was only 16 percent and he was going at the 20th overall pick Kyle Pitts if you jumped on board with Kyle Pitts I'm sorry it was really rough last year Darren Waller all right it was the debate was Waller or Kittle for a while Waller got hurt it was not good Kittle it was pretty bad at the beginning of the year the only thing that saves Kittle 
is his playoff run with Brock Purdy was insane. And if you had him at the very end of the year, you did really well in best ball because he went off in week 17. So overall, I would say early tight end, apart from Travis Kelsey, was not good last year. It didn't help your teams. And if you're taking a tight end before round six, you need to, once again, you're going to have to stay in that two to three tight end build. But usually what we talk about is if you're taking someone like Kelsey or Andrews, you're waiting till the very end to take some other scrub. Okay, last year, it was like the Austin Hoopers, Hayden Hurst. I don't know. Who were some other tight ends last year that were just like the very end? It's like, I don't care. Throwing them at the very Hunter Henry went pretty late for a while. Um, you were just looking for a Cameron Brait. I don't know. Just a bum. The, what's the funny pro- is the only name I can think of is Austin Hooper. It was going <laughs> insanely late, but it was like, yeah, sure. Why not? I can see I can see the path here. And uh, that didn't work out. So with that strategy of elite tight end, you're getting the spike weeks from Kelsey, Andrews, Kittle, those kind of players. But in best ball, what we care about is usable points. So whether you realize this or not, you didn't get all of Travis Kelsey's points last year on your best ball team. Because there were a couple of weeks where he was not great. Okay, he's like seven points, six points, whatever. And maybe you got a score from another tight end. So on average, last year, from weeks one to 17, Teams used 213 of Travis Kelsey's points. It's about 83%. That's pretty awesome. By far the best at tight end. Okay? So if you went Travis Kelsey and let's say Austin Hooper, you got about 250 points. Okay? And your advance rate was 30% in best ball or in underdog. It's awesome. But if you did a three tight end build with Cole Komet, okay, who was like everybody's favorite late round guy, including me last year. Okay? Cole Komet. And then you got Evan Ingram. And let's say the very end, you're like, what the heck? I'll take Taysom Hill. You got the same amount of points. You had basically the same advance rate. And the only point I'm saying is you can cobble together with a much lower opportunity cost, three tight ends late. And I named just three really good ones. David Njoku was another one you could have gotten late. There's always tight ends every single year that you can get. And in three tight end builds, I find that you get three shots at getting together production that's pretty good, as opposed to you get one shot with an elite tight end. If they get injured, your team is completely done. You're completely over. And they have to stay elite. So Travis Kelsey, at the fifth overall pick, if he doesn't give your team at least 220 added points, he is a failed pick. So keep that in mind when you're building. If it's two, if it's three, you have to get these points. And I find I like teams with three tight ends and I get to open up more. The only caveat I have this year is I just really like Mark Andrews a lot. I'm I'm going to be purposely trying to get a ton of Mark Andrews on my team. Um, yeah, actually, you referenced how good he was to start the year before everything kind of fell apart. And then, you know, the injury to Lamar, like Mark Andrews was scoring as a top 12 fantasy wide receiver in that stretch. I I mean, we're going to be all over the Ravens this year. We're very excited about the Lamar Jackson sacks. The issue is they're going so close together that it's so hard unless one of them falls after ADP to get them as a stack. But I love Mark Andrews, and I am going to be trying to take a bunch of him as well. The other thing that I was thinking about with these kind of late-round tight ends, um, I want to give credit to ETR's Mike Leone. does incredible work with best ball. He put out this literally like insane, I don't even know how many pages, like 20-page uh, article on the site best ball manifesto is what it's called and he was looking at um how many live players teams had in best ball mania last year when they got to the playoffs and they got to the championship and it really makes a lot of sense like if you have dead roster spots someone gets injured uh someone got cut someone gets benched and they're playing a backup role now when you draft them to be the starter like they're giving you zero points clearly that's not going to work so you needed like 14 15 16 ideally up to 18 all of your guys live in the finals to actually have any shot to advance and and do anything and win you money and what i like about this year's adp landscape is it doesn't feel that different to take a couple of these guys going so late as far as tight ends that basically to me are like the same player as the guys that are going like three rounds ahead of them in adp when you look at tight ends like there's no difference between the tight end 12 and the tight end 22 like they're literally all the same player but the guys that are going so late like Mike Kosicki uh, these are guys all going after pick 190 so like round 17 18 kind of guys 
Hayden Hurst, Tyler Conklin, Trey McBride, Isaiah Likely, Noah Fant, Kate Otten, Hunter Henry. Those guys are going to be on their team's roster, guaranteed, through the season. Will they stay healthy? Who knows? But if they do, like they're not going to lose their job to someone else. Like Hunter Henry is going to play a ton for the Patriots. I don't think the Patriots are going to be very good. But when you're thinking about trying to avoid these dead roster spots at the end of your draft, these guys, to me, feel somewhat secure in their roles, like I said, outside of injury. So part of the reason I like the 310 build this year is that you can get these guys and feel somewhat confident like you'll have a player contributing to your score throughout the season. I, yeah, Kate Otten is a player I brought up on the Dynasty podcast, but all I care about is opportunity. It's going to be a different offense. Like, it's not a Tom Brady offense. It's a different offensive coordinator. So, it, you know, it's Baker, it's Kyle Trask. I don't know. Their tight end depth chart is nothing. So if I can get Kate Otten with my last pick, he ran the second most routes ever for a rookie tight end, ever. Like, the dude's just always on the field. That's as much as you could ask for. So in a three tight end build, you know, let's say you go... Chig, all right, Chig Conquo, because he's pretty much the GOAT. And then you wanted to go, you know, somebody that's going to be on the field. Maybe you want somebody like Sam Laporta. I usually don't like rookie tight ends. I think he's a little bit of an exception, and he's going in a spot where it's like, I don't actually really care. Like, Sam Laporta's going 175th overall. And then you get someone like Kate Otten. You have some upside in there. You, you have some, you know, opportunity, and you can piece that together. Now, Evan Ingram was awesome last year. I don't think anybody saw him doing what he could do. But three tight end builds, I'm just going to lean into that more. And apart from Mark Andrews, like Mark Andrews teams are going to have two tight ends for me. I'm personally not paying the price for Kelsey and I'll probably pay for it at the end of the year. But that's just a stance I'm willing to make for the game theory. And Travis, you can dunk on me if you need to. But I think you and I both lean three tight end builds, right? Eileen, so I guess we differ a little bit in this approach. I still like three tight end builds, but I'm willing to take a couple of shares of Travis Kelsey for obvious reasons. Because let's say like these guys that are going in like round 12 to 14, 15, like just don't do anything this year and a couple of them get hurt and whatever. Like, and Travis Kelsey stays healthy. He's going to just smash and separate or Mark Andrews, one of those two. And then you think about when you get to the playoffs, is there anyone capable of actually giving you a score that just matters so much for you to get there? The guys that can do that, you know, are the Kelsey, Kittle, Andrews type tier. I find myself leaning into it a little bit for that reason, but I'm also very weary of these guys that are getting pushed up the board at tight end because of small sample size or hanging on to the past or whatever it is. Like TJ Hawkinson is going way too high for me. I'm still very worried about Kyle Pitts, like those sort of guys in that range. And I love Kyle Pitts. It's just the situation. Um, those kind of guys in that range, I don't view in the same lens as Andrews Kelsey. So I kind of have like super early or super late as far as my approach. How do you feel about Goddard? He's going as tight end six. You're getting him in the sixth round. I feel like I'm okay with that. Yeah, I don't have a strong take. I took him today. I had an AJ Brown team and I didn't get hurts, but I was like, you know, what? I like the Seagulls team. Let's throw, let's throw Goddard on there for correlation. So yeah, I'm, I don't mind him. I'm kind of right in line with ADP. Just a little update. Dalton Kincaid is now the tight end 11. He keeps moving. Fun. He, he's, and by Saturday, he'll be the tight end 10. And he won't be on any of my teams. But yeah, tight end's interesting. You're not getting these monster scores either from the tight end position. Like, yes, Kelsey, Andrews, Kittle are the ones that can do it, but it just doesn't happen as regularly as the wide receivers where you get the spike weeks, you have to start three of them, and hopefully they end up in your flex spot. Like, that's what you want. You want a wide receiver score in your flex. So I'm just going to lean more into that, and that's kind of my, my my personality and way I like doing it. Last thing we want to mention, we'll tease this. This will be bigger next week, but week 17 for the win. That's what matters, right? Week 17 in big tournaments is what you care about. It's a top 1% outcome. When the schedule gets released and you guys see it all over social media, we will get to dissect that and talk about the week 17 matchups. But... I think people just quickly go to, these are the high-profile ones. The last two years in Best Ball Mania, it's been teams that nobody was talking about. Two years ago, remember it was Seattle and Detroit? Like, that was the game you I'm needed. I'm on Ross St. Brown, baby. I've heard of him. Last year, last year it was Tampa Bay in Carolina. Like, did you have Brady and Evans stack with DJ Moore? Did you have Devontae Adams and Brandon Ayuk? Those are the combinations that you needed 
So keep in mind, every single game matters if you're correlating that way. And you don't just have to correlate with quarterbacks. Like a wide receiver and a running back or wide receiver and wide receiver on two different teams correlate great. So keep that in mind. And you are about to put out a week 17 resource for people. Yes, this will be in uh, the the UDK Plus. This will be part of the best ball primer that Kyle and I put out every year on June 1st. But yeah, I basically want to look at these week 17 games and kind of look at the ADP landscape and say, here are our top targets for these game stacks and here how you can how, how you can correlate your lineup. And like Kyle said, people last year, I think maybe took it a little bit too far and then people started making fun of the week 17 people in best ball. <laughs> but like, it really does matter for these tournaments. If you're playing in just a 12 person league, like I don't think it matters a ton. But that's where all the money is. And when you think about DFS concepts, right, you're trying to build correlation, minimize things that you have to get right in your lineup. If you have a guy that goes bonkers on one side of the field, there's a better chance his opponent, his quarterback, they're going to also go bonkers. So like Kyle said, I'm using this stuff as something I'm prioritizing, but I'm using ADP to make sure I'm not doing anything silly. For example, if I have Travis Kelsey, I'm not going to reach two rounds just to get Joe Mixon, for example, because they have a Week 17 matchup. We're still going to use ADP, be smart about it, but I think whenever you have the opportunity to do so, correlation is the coin flip that I go with. Speaking of ADP, let's finish this show and each give a pretty, uh, I don't say it's hot, but just pretty firm so far. This is a player I am outrightly fading at their ADP, and it's so easy. We said this a couple times this episode. It's so easy to look at the landscape, to look at the numbers, and go, that's just where this player goes. And ADP is what the consensus says, not should they go there. So I'm going to go first. And I'm just going to say there is no chance I will be taking TJ Hawkinson as the tight end three and at 46 overall. A round four pick is just ridiculous to me. It's also kind of ridiculous, and I think people don't do this enough, if you look in underdog, you can sort, you know, by position, you can sort, it'll sort by ADP. And then to the very right of it, it actually shows their projected points. Explain to me, Betts, why TJ Hawkinson is the tight end three, and yet he's projected for the seventh most points. Why is that so? I have no idea. <laughs> I have no like, clue why that's happening. That he should be grouped among players. Like he should be right where, you know, Pitts and Goddard go. I have no, uh, like, the only thing is people are looking at last year and saw what he did and where he finishes the tight end two. Keep in mind that as the tight end two, it was the lowest point total from the tight end two since, uh, in the last seven years. Uh, the last one was Kyle Rudolph, also the Vikings, seven years ago. Like, so this is a low score for the tight end two. I think people are just looking at those second half stats in Minnesota and just copy and pasting. He averaged 8.6 targets but he only had three touchdowns as a Viking. Last year, they didn't have a second option. I really think Jordan Addison will be that player that can actually get open and be available. And you need points from this player. And the, the phrase I was using earlier for tight ends is points added, okay? Players going in the fourth round in underdog over the last couple of years, they needed at least 127 points. That was the average. And that's taking players who whiffed like Allen Robinson last year and Deontay Johnson. 127 points added. That's actually 20 more than what he gave you last year in best ball. So you need TJ Hawkinson to finish even better than he did last year to justify this draft cost. No, thank you. I'm out. Full fade. Yeah, I haven't clicked clicked his name once yet. Um, and I think part of it is like people are smart that the Vikings are going to throw and it's a good offense. But yeah, man, fourth round ADP on TJ Hawkinson is just absurd to me right now. So I'm with you. I'll be fading at these current prices. Let's talk about Jalen Hyatt, a third-round rookie. Again, a third-round rookie. Uh, the NFL told us what they think about Jalen Hyatt. Can he give us a couple of spike weeks here and there in a good offense with Daniel Jones? Probably. But he's going in the 12th round. He's 137th overall off the board. Since 2015, there have been four third-round wide receivers to score more than 100 fantasy points in a season. They are Terry McLaurin, Cooper Cup, Tyler Lockett, and Deontay Johnson. I'd be surprised. I'll just say I'd be surprised if he joins that group this year. And and the argument for taking rookies is, okay, bets, yeah, well, they get better in the second half of the year. They earn a role. Maybe not. Like, maybe he's just not that good. I don't know. At, at this price, I think people are factoring in 
that he is going to be the dude. He's going ahead of every other Giants pass catcher except for Darren Waller. That is crazy to me. I don't know. I don't know. I'd rather have Isaiah Hodgins. I'd rather take Darius Slayton in round 18. I'd rather throw a dart on Wanda Robinson coming off the ACL. It makes zero sense to me. Kyle talked about it with these rookie wide receivers going higher than ever before. This is a price that I'm not willing to pay for Jalen Hyatt. It makes me sad because I like Jalen Hyatt as a player, but I agree with you. If he's about to go as one of the highest third-round rookie wide receivers of all time in best ball, that's where you start fading the player. He could be really fun. Like You could get the correlation in Week 17 that Jalen Hyatt hits the bomb touchdown. He's in round 12 right now. I bet he ends up, you know, you know, a full round up at least from now, maybe even higher. And I agree with you. There's other players. I like Isaiah Hodgins if you can get him later. That's totally fine. But it's just not a great offense too. Like he's not a high volume player and it's not a high volume offense. So you're betting on efficiency and that's usually something that you and I bet against. So those are our two early fades. We will give more and more and you'll see them in the Ultimate Draft Kit Plus as we give our best ball rankings. Bets, sign us off. Dude, I feel ready to go back to go draft a best ball team literally right now. So I'm going to do that when we're done with this. But this is a fun episode. Hopefully, you learned a lot of information about it along the way. Don't forget ultimatedraftkit.com. Best ball rankings and the best ball primer out on June 1st. Have a great weekend. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Fantasy Footballers DFS and Betting Podcast. Don't forget to visit us on the web at thefantasyfootballers.com.